Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. Welcome back. That was a high pitch on my part. <laughs> Welcome back. Try that again. We can always start our day over. We can always start our hour over. It is Seth Liebson. As we head into hour two, a delight to bring back to the uh, studio and uh, to the airwaves Rabbi Pinchas Alush. He is the host of the Rabbi Alush podcast, heard regularly on Apple Podcasts. A-L-L-O-U-C-H-E is how he spells his name. He joins us most Fridays. He's in town. Talk to about talk to us about matters spiritual and biblical and the like. He is also the head rabbi at Congregation Beth Tefillah House of Prayer on Shea Boulevard, where, as he often says or regularly says, all are welcome, Jewish or not, observant or not. Rabbi, welcome back. Good to see you. Thank you. It's a pleasure being back. Thank you, Seth. As our audience keeps in mind uh, their best thoughts and prayers for your son Yisrael Mordechai Chaim, tell us about how he is doing. Thank you for asking, and I really, really appreciate your prayers and uh, your listeners' prayers. Uh, he's doing well. In fact, he surprised us this week for just two days. It was a wedding year of my beloved nephew, of Remel Druin, and uh, he's very, very close with him. So he came and surprised him and all of us. He had special permission to come all the way from the battlefields of Gaza to Scottsdale, <laughs> Arizona, and uh, we bonded with him. We spoke to him a lot. He spoke to us a lot. He's doing well. He's staying strong and positive. And as we speak right now, he's going back into Gaza. Okay. All right. Best thoughts. Now, you were in Israel too recently again, yes? That's right. Yeah, I was there last week. In fact, I picked him up. Okay. And then we did the surprise for my wife and Great. kids and That's everyone wonderful. else. Yes. That's wonderful. Wonderful. How many times have you been there now since? <laughs> since October yeah. 7th? Yeah. Been, I think five four or times, six, yeah. four or five, five times, border, yes. bordering on to five. Well, uh, continued safety and success uh, for your entire family, but particularly your son Yisrael Mordechai. Amen. Hein. Thank you. One of the things we often, and well, one of the things we regularly do is we talk about uh, the Torah portion or the portion in the Bible that uh, Jews will read uh, every Sabbath, every Saturday, um, and. So I'd like to return to that. We're in uh, Exodus 25 is basically where it starts, and um, the name of this portion is Terumah. Am I pronouncing that right? That's right, Terumah. Translation is offering, but it's an unusual Hebrew word according to my research. Terumah means not just an offering as in something we give, but something we also, as I understand it, lift up. Mm-hmm. That's right. And in many ways, those two verbs of giving and lifting up are interconnected because when a person gives, it lifts him up. When a person only takes, it lowers him. The difference between a, a people that are lifted, that are elevated, that are in many ways holier, are people who give. versus people who do not give. People who do not give are people who not only become selfish and uh, lower, but are people who also are erased 
from the annals of history as soon as they die because they really left nothing behind. Mm -hmm. This is going to be a big theme for this portion from my research, so I'm glad you landed on the same place I kind of seem to have. It's an interesting portion at first if you read it dryly, so to speak, or just literally without, with, with, without uh, on the surface. A rabbi friend of mine in California writes that last week in the portion, which was Mishpatim, the Torah slowly, the Bible Torah slowly transitioned from narrative Bible story history toward legal codification. Now Truma sets forth in the most punctilious detail how to build the Mishkan, the portable temple that will accompany Jews through the last 39 years of their Sinai travels before finally finding a resting place for 369 years in the city of Shiloh in the Promised Land. Although the portion of the week seems less interesting than most, because it's just so very detailed, its importance remains as equally profound as any of the others. Mm -hmm. Fair? Accurate? Very fair and accurate. And I will say that the order is also equally profound or even more profound than the others, because as you just mentioned, as soon as they came out of Egypt— they were told to give and give and give of their jewelry, of their money, of their resources to build this tabernacle. I think God here is acting as a psychologist, as a psychologist yes. par, par excellence. Right. Why? Because anyone who's gone through uh, troubles in life knows that human nature will tell you to focus on yourself, my troubles, my pain, and how pitiful you may feel. Well, the ultimate way or the ultimate remedy to get out of uh, these troubles is to make a 180 degree turn from looking at yourself and how pitiful you are to looking at others and trying to help others. When you come out of your bubble towards another person's bubble in order to help them and in order to support them, then that will ensure that your troubles will fade away. This is exactly what God does. He says, you were slaves. I understand you have a lot of psychological issues. You may have a lot of PTSD and other types of traumas. But I want you to know that the only effective way you will come out of your slavery state is by giving and giving and giving. And through that giving, you will find purpose. Through that purpose, you will find cure. Through that cure, you will find an impact that will ensure that your status changes from the victim status to the victor status. Let's stay on that for a second, uh, that emotional, that psychiatry par excellence. Um, I learned uh, from the wisdom of the uh, of 12-step uh, of groups. Dennis Prager says there's more wisdom in 12-step meetings than in four years at Harvard. You <laughs> might be right. I would agree with that. <laughs> I, le I learned that one of the pieces of advice in 12-step meetings is that whenever you're feeling particularly anxious, anxiety, disturbed, or tempted to relapse, go help someone. The magic of it is helping someone else. That's the magic of these programs, helping a newcomer, helping someone whose struggles are equal or worse to yours. That is how you get out of your own head, your own emotional digestion, whatever you want, self-consumption, whatever you want to call it. That is the magic of that. One, feel free to comment on that. Mm -hmm. Two, uh, some years ago uh, when uh, my mom had a long life and all expected passed on, 
Um, you get condolence notes, you know. The one that I will never forget said something I had never seen before. Uh, from a uh, happened to be from a, a member of our community in town here, whose name most people would probably know. But he wrote, "In times like these, it is hard to know what to say, but just knowing that someone else is thinking of this time with you may help a little." And I thought that was interesting in the sense that. Just putting your mind on someone else's grief helps the griever, too, helps the sufferer, too. And when you're in turmoil, anxiety or whatever, maybe you need to think in reverse on that proposition. Maybe you need to think that you need to associate with other sufferers. Maybe there's something magical or godly or heavenly about just associating with other sufferers. We talk about the mourners of Zion and comforting people when they lose a loved one. Be with the mourner. May you be comforted along with all the other mourners. Maybe there's something about linking, emotionally linking pain together. I don't know if I'm making yes, any sense. Yes, yes, you are. Uh, but let's analyze this even further for a second. Okay. I think that the genius of turning someone from being me-oriented to other-oriented, mm-hmm. especially someone who, as you mentioned, is experiencing turmoil and anxieties, mm-hmm is that it goes to the very core of the human problem or the human greatness. And what I mean by that is I'm thinking of a a, a beautiful quote, words of wisdom from a Hasidic rabbi, Rabbi Aaron of Karlin, who would say that the worst thing that can happen to a person is that he he or she stops to think that they are royal beings and they start to think that they are but miserable peasants. Because then you become less, and you do less, you achieve less. Of course. And in many ways, when I tell someone that I know you've experienced the turmoil, and I know that you're in a low place, but don't let that make any any dent in your royal greatness. Mm-hmm. You are born to be great. Mm-hmm. So go and experience that greatness through giving, and you'll remind yourself of who you truly are. Let me return on that theme when we come back, including integrating the notion of giving. Rabbi Pinchas Salush is my guest. P-I-N-C-H-A-S is his first name, Alush, A-L-L-O-U-C-H-E. He and I will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Rabbi Pinchas Salush is my guest. Uh, he is the head rabbi at Congregation Beth Tefillah. You have a big event coming up. You want to say something about That's that? right. No, thank you for the plug-in here. So we do have a big event coming up on Sunday, February 25th at 6 p.m., all welcome at Congregation Beth Tefillah. We are hosting a hostage who was kidnapped by Hamas for 55 days in Gaza until she was released uh, with uh, one of the uh, negotiations. Um, we are hosting a woman by the name of Arit Mark Ettinger who lost four of her immediate relatives to terrorism. We are hosting a soldier, a commander who just came back from the battlefield to tell us about his experiences. And we are truly... All in all, honoring heroes of uh, uh, this this war of good against evil. So everyone is welcome to join us again on Sunday at 6 p.m. You can find out more info at soulconference.org. The next day, there will also be a soul conference where some of these heroes will remain. Philosophers will come. It will be a day full of learning and inspiration. Fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. Um, in this week's, we're talking about giving, and I'll, I'll return us to where we were in a few moments by going straight to the text, if I might. 
of uh, this week's uh, Torah portion uh, from Exodus 25 forward to Rumah. God says to Moses, They shall make for me a sanctuary, and I shall dwell amidst them. It's kind of interesting. They shall make for me. Now we're beginning to see kind of this role reversal because up until now, God has done so much for the people. Now he's finally, and not make for me so much as what? Uh, sac- make a cert- Put effort into sanctifying my name is how I think I would probably translate that, but I'll let the expert do it. <clears throat> no, that's right. And it's an interesting verse because yeah. grammatically it doesn't make right, sense. Right. Uh, they shall make for me a sanctuary and I shall dwell in them, them. it right. should say in right. It, right. Right? right? But that's the whole idea. Yeah. God is yearning for a relationship with us. Yeah. So he says, make for me a relationship, and then I can dwell in you, and then I can pay back this effort by creating a relationship my way also, not just through your way, but also through my way. And together, we can change the world. And that really is the idea of this verse. It's really one of my favorite verses in the Bible. In fact, if you come to our congregation, you'll see that it adorns the ark. Oh, is that right? In the sanctuary. Yes, because that really goes to the very core of our relationship with God. It's a two-way street in which God says, sanctify me, not just by making a sanctuary in the desert, which was the commandment of the time, but also by making a sanctuary in every moment, even in those challenging ones. With every encounter, at every place, remember me. Make for me a sanctuary. Draw my presence down. And then I will come and I will dwell in you. And in that moment, and if it's a challenging moment, I'll turn that challenge into a great opportunity for you too. Um, and, 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 and this is really the first time that we see the role reversal of God asking people now to kind of, I mean, the instructions on how to build this thing are so Im- detailed, so immaculately detailed. I mean, he I don't want to say he's asking a lot, but he's asking a lot. Mm. I mean, the specifics are intense. That's right. And the big question is why? Yeah. We'll make you a secretary, no problem, right. God. But yeah. why do we have to follow all these detailed yeah, instructions? Won't a yurt do, Some of them are yeah. almost impossible also to make. Yeah. Like he tells Moses to build a menorah of one piece. There's a menorah with seven branches, a candelabra with seven very hard to make that of one piece. So there are many questions about these commandments. But first, to relate to the details, I think God is trying to teach us that if you think that I am in the grand events of life, you are wrong. I'm found particularly in the details. Those details is really what draws down my presence. Then I can dwell, as we said, in you, if you are careful about the details. You know, it's it's a big message because Today we're big into changing the world and fighting bigotry and racism and sexism and and everything else out there. But we forget sometimes that it starts at home, the way I treat my spouse, the way I treat my children, the way I even speak, the the slander that should not come out of my mouth, the way I think, the negative thoughts that should not permeate my mind. That's where God really resides, and that's where it starts. That's where that sanctuary is built. So the— Portable temple, is that a fair way to describe the Mishkan that he's explaining the building of? How would you describe it? A portable basis? What would you call it? It's um, Right. Yeah. Okay. So it tells us that his presence will travel with it. 
And it's an interesting notion, especially given the idea that you just articulated that God is saying he's going to dwell in us. But it's all, there's also this concept that he's, or some form of his presence is dwelling with this traveling, this portable uh, uh, temple. Mm-hmm. And so back to my friend in California, he put it this way, and see how this works for you. How can we understand the concept that God, who is everywhere at all times, could be centered in one finite location? Now, your answer about him dwelling in us is one answer for mm-hmm. certain, but there are different aspects I'm guessing here. Perhaps think of a home where it is midnight, no lights outside, truly pitch black throughout the entire floor, from the kitchen to the dining room to all the rooms. And in the midpoint of the floor, there is an overhead light fixture. You turn on that one light bulb, suddenly, while the strongest light emanates from the center, the entire floor is now illuminated with ambient light, and suddenly you can see everywhere. Perhaps that imagery can offer a glimpse to grasping the concept of the omnipresent, what, Shekinah, is that the right word? Mm -hmm. Through all the world while based centrally amid the Mishkan. Maybe that is one other way of looking at it. Maybe. Yes, that's another way of looking at it. If we want to look at it in a Kabbalistic way, yeah, yeah. even I would say in a philosophical way, yeah. the question is, how do you define God? Yeah. Because many say that God is limitless. And what true, what that word really means, to be limitless, means that you have no limits. And therefore, he can even fit into a tabernacle. Yeah. Yeah. It's not limitless like the sea is limitless right. because you can't take the sea and put it in a cup of water. Right. So the sea is limited in that way. Mm-hmm. But God is not limited in any way. And therefore, you can take the sea that God is, to use that metaphor, and put him into one yeah. place. Anywhere. Exactly. And in many ways, God was showing to us that I am truly limitless, not as limitless as the sea, much more. I'm true, And therefore, I can fit in this sanctuary. And this should remind you that therefore I can have a relationship even with you. I can even find my, you can even find me in your kitchen, in your bedroom, yeah. in those very limited places of the world. Very good. Is that okay? You okay? Yes. yes. Let me yes. take a quick commercial break, and I want to come back to the minute details, the purpose of them uh, with you, Rabbi, that we read about, and this issue you've raised about seemingly, seemingly menial things and what they may mean for our lives. Rabbi Pinchas Alush, and I will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Rabbi Pinchas Alush is my guest, head rabbi at Congregation Beth Tefillah, and uh, host of the Rabbi Alush podcast, A-L-L-O-U-C-H-E. We're in Exodus 25 forward, talking about this uh, Sabbaths, this Shabbos's, this weekend's biblical uh, readings. For people that haven't been, I mean, you really have a scroll written in Hebrew that you read from in Hebrew. And this is how it's done with several people around you. Mm-hmm. And so careful have you to be with this. Um, one, you can't drop the scroll. Um, but you also have um, Assistant coaches, would you say, who right. will actually – it's kind of its kind of fun. Maybe not for you. It's fun for the audience, uh, the congregation, who will shout out a correction if you get a thing wrong because it doesn't have the usual kind of uh, syllab- syllab- syllabic vowels and, right. and markings. 
That's right. Does it throw you it off? It is. I mean, sometimes, yes. <laughs> so I but read. they enjoy it, too. You know, <laughs> they They're reading it. along with the – they have the teacher's edition. That's right. <laughs> they have the pronunciations, and they'll yeah. shout out yeah. maybe once or twice every now That's and That's right. But I'll tell you what's really special for me as the one who reads the Torah yeah. is that I know that my ancestors a generation ago did that, yeah. five generations yeah. ago did that, and even dec- uh, many, many tens of generations did that. So we're doing the exact same exercise as uh, the as Moses saying did. the exact same words at the exact same time of year that people went down the generations doing. That's right, yeah. and even the people correcting are probably do, are doing the same yeah. Yeah. as the people who corrected Moses. Oh, I'm sure the people who are correcting, I am sure they have in their minds that these are the words that I will probably. Ha- I mean, every year it comes around, they'll probably say this word will usually trip some, someone up. I'll be ready for that one. Uh, <laughs> then probably, right. probably. <laughs> That's right, exactly. But that detail. Mm-hmm. That level of detail I raise as an, an illustration, illustrative of the care and detail we're talking about in this portion about how to build the uh, the ark. The, the ark? Can right. I call it the ark? That's right. Yeah. <clears throat> that level, the minutiae of detail, the minutiae of getting it just right. Mm-hmm. I only have a small bag of tricks, Rabbi, but in them uh, – of Talmudic uh, quotes that I love – but in them – um, this all very much reminds me of a Talmudic line that one will never be given the opportunity to do great things until he passes the test of small things. In mm. other words, the only testing ground of the heroic is the mundane. Yes? That's right. Is that it, what we're learning here? Absolutely. And it goes back to what we were saying, that God is found in details yeah. much more than he's found in the grand scheme of things. But I want to go just one step further, and I think it also speaks about um, – the smallness of uh, of of some groups in humanity because or, or some people who see themselves as small because some people may say you know what i'm too small Do i really make can i really make a difference in this world i mean after all my impact is small i am small my deeds are small and god says yes that's who i'm looking for it's that smallness that makes that gives me the greatest pleasure not necessarily the presidents and the CEOs and the prime ministers. It's that person who might be small in his eyes but does what God wants him to do that creates the greatest pleasure for God. Good, good. Um, Let's go back to giving, which is such an important part of this and that we started on uh, in the very first segment in discussing this, that we are lifted up in our giving uh, rather than our receiving, uh, rather than becoming dependent uh, on the charity of God or good fortune of others or goodwill and charity of others, we should be the givers. We should be the contributors. Rabbi Jonathan Sachs says, we value more what we labor more on. This is a story of labor, this chapter, this portion of the week. This is about labor, work. This is hard work what they have to do here and what they are asked to do. We value more what we labor the most on. King David writes, when you eat the fruit of the labor of your hands, you will be happy and it will go well with you. The effort that we put into something does not just change the object, it changes us. Would mm. you speak on that when we come right back? Absolutely. Thank you. Yes. Rabbi Pinchas Solution, I'll be back in just a moment. You can uh, get his podcast at Apple Podcasts. You can attend his synagogue services and um, Galen next week. That's right. At Congregation Beth Tefilah and Shea. Yes.
Rabbi Pinchas Solution is my guest. We, we had a little joke. I, this might be relevant uh, during the break. Um, we used to have a huge digital clock up here on the wall that the rabbi remembers. I think you'll remember it. Yes. And it was tied to the Naval Observatory, which is the most accurate time we have in America because time kind of matters on radio. And it broke, and we've had this ugly space here where it used to be and a reminder daily of frustration to me for not having it. And uh, we just heard from our engineer. He's buying us a new one and getting it taken care of at long last. And um, I was joking to the rabbi, maybe just take that space and inscribe his favorite inscription like he has at the Ark at his uh, synagogue, they shall make me a sanctuary and I shall dwell amidst them. He laughed. He said, well, this is a bit of a sanctuary. I said, you know what? It's a sanctuary maybe, but it gets desecrated a lot. But it reminded me, and you tell me if this is okay to think about, uh, you may know of a, a tremendously powerful and popular television show in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, uh, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, Fred Rogers. Um, yes. He was an ordained minister, and he said a prayer every day before he did his show as he walked into the studio, which I guess he did think of as a sanctuary. And you know what his prayer was? A simple little prayer. You tell me if you like this. He would walk in every day to his studio, and before he would cross the threshold, he would say, Dear God, today let at least some of my words be yours. Mm. That was his simple prayer before coming into his broadcast wow. sanctuary. Is that good? That That's excellent. In fact, I'll tell you and your listeners a little secret, and that won't be a secret anymore. <laughs> but before I give a speech, and I don't, I, I don't come up with that. I, I learned that from, from other people, uh, other rabbis too. But I, before I give a speech, or even before I walk in here, I quote the verse that says in Hebrew as follows, Hashem God, open up my lips and let my uh, tongue praise you. Same thing. Same idea. Same thing. Do you get ner- You do an awful lot of public speaking. Certainly every Saturday you do. You do a lot more than that. Do you get nervous before public speaking? I do. Every I, time? Every single time. You do? Every single time. And I'll tell you more than that. When I stop getting nervous, that's when I'll stop speaking. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. I think there's, there's great uh, – it's a great indication to whether you are worthy for the task or Well, not. that's right. Is it a it, – yes, because you know – I'm guessing this is a question. Is it because you have the burden of carrying a message from God, a, a godly message even? And, right. and I mean, with the title rabbi, more is expected, of course, as well. Yes, absolutely. And you have to be that channel. You, you, I don't. I, I try not to speak for my ego, yeah. as others may do. I, it's not for me. Yeah. It's really to carry a message that's higher than me, that's greater than me. And it's not easy to do that. So I, uh, I'm being very vulnerable here, but I, I pray to God that I, I become that worthy channel of his words. And hopefully that can make an impact much more than I, myself, and with my ego can ever make. Maybe we could all do that a little bit more, huh? Yes. I have a friend every morning. <clears throat> we have a phone call. The audience knows this. You may not. Uh, we have a phone call every morning, and we, we do a little bit of a prayer. Mm. And we shift the days as to whose duty that day it is to write a prayer. We've been doing this for, I don't know, two and a half months now. And... What we realized this morning in our conversation was every day is a new and different prayer for different things, different people, different situations. 
there is no shortage of things to write think prayers about there is no we have we have we thought you know at a certain point we're going to have to hang this up because we've done you know we've exhausted our abilities there is no exhaustion of the ability of things to pray the need an ability to pray about <laughs> that's right there is uh, so much we find and every day it's a new one yes because of two reasons one i mean life is ever changing so our prayers have to change yeah but i also think because what prayer does in essence that it opens up our eyes mm-hmm. to God's greatness in this world. Mm-hmm. And when we can open up our eyes to God's greatness in this world, we indeed see that there is so much, so many blessings that maybe we weren't aware of before prayer. Yes. And that's, that's a big part of it, the gratitude in it all. That's, that's right. That's a huge part of it. Right. Uh, it's the most forgotten thing, gratitude, I think. Mm-hmm. When you're thinking about yourself, I mean, that goes back to what we were talking about, too. When you're stuck in your own anxiety, when you're stuck in your own, what was I saying, self-cannibalism of emotions or, yeah, self-consumption with emotions. Gratitude is probably the farthest thing from you, and it's really probably the most important. Someone once said it's a forgotten virtue. (laughs) Yes. There's a reason why Judaism has the first prayer of the day as a prayer of gratitude. As soon as we open our eyes, we we say, thank you, God. Uh, Because it, in many ways, enables us then to connect to the beauty of creation, God's beauty of creation, in every place that we go to, in every space that we are in. But I I am reminded just of an anecdote about the Lubavitcher Rebbe that we've quoted many times of blessed memory, who had no children. And one day this woman came to him and complained, my children are giving me a hard time and many headaches and I don't know what to do. And the rabbi with his very sharp wit responded very quickly and said, well, from your complaints I hear that you have children. Do you know what I would give in life in order to have children? In other words, those complaints, <laughs> right? They're That's not complaints. Right. Right? Exactly. They're Say thank you. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to work with that one. That's that's good, Rabbi. That's good. Um, thank you. Mm-hmm. This notion of lifting up and changing ourselves through the work that God is commanding us to do in this portion, or commanding the Israelites at that time to do. Uh, so Sack, Rabbi Sack says something I, I we were talking about earlier. Until now, God has done all the work. He had struck Egypt with plagues. He had taken the people out to freedom. He had divided the sea and brought them across dry land. He had given them food from heaven and water from rock. And with the exception of the song at the sea, the people had not appreciated it. They were ungrateful. As we were taught, they complained, as you were just saying. Now we have the real role reversal here with this portion. The importance of being a giver, not just a recipient. It's about human self-respect, much as, in fact, dominating the whole notion of this being for God. What he's asking us is for ourselves. Mm. Yes? Absolutely. Very, very well said. And in many ways, therefore, giving is perhaps the most redeeming exercise that one can engage in. When one gives, he redeems himself from himself. Yeah. And betters the world by doing so. Yeah. Better is the world by doing so. I love the way you said that. I'm just going to let this hour, or at least this segment, end on that. Better is the world for doing so. Better is the world for having you here, Rabbi. Rabbi Pinchas Alush, thank you very much. Uh, I'm Seth. I'll be right back with a concluding thought. 
before we are joined by, I think, Pete Peterson's going to join us. Great. Thank you, Rabbi Pinchas. Thank you so much. Portions of this show brought to you by our good friends at Y-Refi. They have a great investment opportunity in a secure and collateralized portfolio, which really invests a lot of control and flexibility in you. There is no attack on principle. If you ever need your money back, you get a monthly statement with no surprises. Of course, there are absolutely no fees with Y-Refi. You can turn your income on or off, compound it, whatever you like. And best of all, you can earn up to a 10.25% fixed rate of return. Ten and a quarter percent fixed rate of return that's not correlated to the stock market or the Federal Reserve. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then refy.com, or call them at 888-YREFI-24, 888-YREFI-24. Uh, again, um, if you're interested in that conference that the rabbi's congregation is putting on, you can get info at soulconference.org, soul, S-O-U-L, soulconference.org. That's a heck of a URL to be able to get, isn't it? In this day and age, who knew that soulconference.org would be available? <laughs> anyway, uh, soulconference.org. But we, too, are doing an event, and uh, let us not forget— um, on March 26th, our Fighting for Freedom event, bringing in Mike Gallagher, Brandon Tatum, and myself. We'll all be on stage talking about the issues in this election, um, you know, the fines and incredible judgment uh, issued against Donald Trump and the Trump family today by uh, the judge in New York. Um, barring him from holding executive office for a period of time, including his children. You know what would be my prayer on this is by March 26th, you know how things, David, fly through the news so quickly and what was huge a week ago is nowhere on the radar screen? What happened to the Kansas City shooting? That was, what, two days ago? Already gone. Um, What about the special prosecutor's special counsel's report from a week ago? Already gone. Um... It would be nice if by March 26th this was already gone because it's struck down on appeal or something. It's outrageous. In any event, our event, we will be talking about whatever is on your mind with Mike Gallagher, Brandon Tatum, and myself fighting for freedom. You can get tickets at 960thepatriot.com, 960thepatriot.com, March 26th at Arizona Christian University. It'll be great, and uh, we'll be talking. Take your questions. Do a lot of back and forth, and um, we'll hope to see you there. All right, I think we have Pete Peterson coming up, so we'll be right back.